AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. Great lineup today. Lots of ground to cover. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us to talk about our meat export numbers. Still looking very good. We'll talk dairy industry issues, kind of an outlook on the dairy industry as well. Big issues going into the new year. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, will join us. And some legislation in the House has passed concerning livestock markets and the beef industry in particular. We'll talk with Tanner Beamer within CBA about that legislation and prospects of it making it through the Senate. All that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start it off with more reaction to this week's biofuels news. We've gotten reaction the last few days from the ethanol industry. Today, we want to get a biodiesel perspective on this. Joined now by Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. What we've heard from most in the biofuels industry, mixed reaction to the announcements this week concerning the RFS. Um, some good, some not so good. How does the biodiesel industry look at this? Yeah, Mike, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I, I would tend to agree with their assessment. Some good, some bad, some ugly in this. I think, uh, first off, we're, we're eager and pleased that we finally have a proposal in front of us. As you know, we've been operating without uh, volume obligations. These were, these were meant to be finalized November 30th of last year, so we're over a year overdue on this. Um, and in that time period, our members operate without kind of the certainty that this program was, was meant to provide. So uh, pleased that we have a proposal in front of us. Uh, but, you know, there's some good things in terms of growth in volumes for uh, future years. But uh, the, the most critical uh, item that we would object to is the revisiting and revising of already closed volumes for 2020. This, this proposal uh, looks to revise those downward. We don't think it's justified. We don't think it's legal. We don't think it's necessary. The justification is uh, reduced demand from uh, the pandemic. The fact of the matter is the program is self-correcting. As, as demand goes down for all fuels, the obligation to blend renewable fuels also goes down. There's no need to revisit these, and we'll be making that case strongly to EPA. Yeah, that's such a key point. Uh, they're making a big thing out of uh they're reducing those uh, uh levels for the past because the usage was down because of the pandemic but as you pointed out they don't need to correct those it it corrects itself it, the mechanism's already there that's exactly right and you know what they're doing by opening up a, a, a closed rvo year is almost akin to the the small refiner exemption loophole that that the, the previous administration utilized. It's uh, erasing or removing mandated volumes after the fact. There's, there's, it, it's, a, it's a different uh, version, of, but it's the same thing. It undermines the integrity of the program. It erases gallons that we were all uh, counting on and the marketplace was counting on to be produced and, and to be used. So it, it's something that sets a terrible precedent. And quite frankly, you know, the optimism in the industry about the the growth in volumes for 2021 and 2022, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt because if they're willing to retroactively revise volumes for 2020, uh, what's to say that some at some point down the road uh, these these higher volumes for for 2022 that they're promising won't also be revised downward? So th this is a bad precedent. I'm glad our our champs on the hill have uh, voiced their opposition to it early and, and loudly. Uh, we've done the same thing, and we'll continue to do so and try to make our case with the EPA before this is finalized. Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. That's a good point. Uh, how can you trust them to stick to these higher numbers they're proposing for future years when they can go back and, and change them? And, you know, much is being made over them denying these uh, small, uh, these waiver requests by these refineries. But 
really, if you're going to require them to blend less, it kind of offsets any uh, of the positive of, of denying those waivers. I mean, that that's kind of a wash there. You're exactly right. At the at the end of the day, our our yardstick on this is what are the what are the volume requirements that are used to be blended, and whether you're undermining that through granting a small refiner exemption that costs us gallons, or you revise previous years uh, downward that also costs us gallons. So the mechanism isn't necessarily that important uh, to me. The integrity of the volumes that they set and that they're going to require that they be met and not allow any. Uh, shenanigans after the fact to to uh, revise those downward that's the most important because that that's what the, the the program was meant to do you know when when the program was enacted in in 2005 and greatly expanded in 2007 it what we've we had a history of biofuels producers producing the fuel and petroleum uh, partners unwilling to blend the fuel so the, re, the renewable fuel standard was put into place to provide certainty for biofuels producers that the fuel that they produced was going to be blended. And that's that's the whole motivation for the program. So if you're going to, to undermine that kind of key component of the program through either small refiner exemptions or retroactive revisions to volumes, that's contrary to congressional intent and shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, follow the law, let it work. It's set up to work. It is. It will work if they leave it alone. Now, uh, you did get uh, some... Uh, Finally, the biofuels industry getting some relief, uh, some assistance from uh, pandemic funds that has been long awaited. How will that impact the biodiesel industry? That's going to have a significant impact on the biodiesel industry. We're, we're pleased that Congress provided those funds. Uh, we're pleased that the USDA has finally uh, put out their proposal as to how they're going to allocate those funds. Uh, importantly, you know, during the pandemic, the ethanol industry and the biodiesel industry were were negatively harmed, uh, but in different ways. There was there was a serious drop off in demand for gasoline, and that was, uh, you know, a very a very tangible drop for for ethanol producers in terms of their market. For biodiesel, it was a little bit different. We we still had some demand. The, the demand didn't drop off nearly as much. But we had a much more complicated market, both in terms of the feedstock available as well as getting the getting the product uh, to the market. So our members were harmed, not necessarily in terms of lost gallons, although some of them would have lost gallons, but a lot of them were operating uh, perhaps with market losses because they were they were paying much more for feedstock and were were just a disruption in the market. So. I think this program that USDA is, is putting out addresses both of those concerns, just the pure loss of gallons as well as uh, the, the disruptions to the market. So I'm hopeful that our biodiesel and renewable diesel producers who suffered negatively uh, from, the, from the pandemic have an opportunity to apply for those funds. All right, Kurt, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it. Glad to be with you. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. All right, up next, our meat export numbers continue to be strong for beef and for pork, even for lamb. We're going to talk about all that with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. 
You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're starting to see some early signs of the approach the Biden administration wants to take towards relations with China and, and trade in particular. We see U.S. Trade Representative Tai working on building kind of a coalition to work on this issue with the U.S. Let's talk about it with Doug Berry, Senior Director of Communications for the U.S.-China Business Council. What are your thoughts on this approach that we're starting to see from the Biden administration? The big looming issue now is, of course, what happens with the Phase 1 agreement that has provided an opportunity for U.S. farmers to ship their products uh, into China at uh, competitive tariff rates, not the excessive ones that have been slapped on by the previous administration and which uh, China responded to. That agreement expires in January, and there's nothing right now to replace it. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So throughout the year, we kind of keep track of the uh, latest meat export numbers with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He joins us now. And Dan, as we have been saying throughout the year, despite the headwinds, despite the challenges of supply chain issues and ongoing issues with and challenges from COVID, uh, we continue to see Great demand for meat around the world, and uh, we're looking now at the October numbers. Let's start on the beef side. Another export uh, record, right? Yeah. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, uh, the, the demand, uh, the momentum continues on beef. Um, uh, the, the stats for October came in. We're, we're up about seven and a half percent year on year. Still a record-breaking pace, and. Uh, the same as what we talked about last month. It's broad-based growth. It's it's Korea. It's China. It's uh, you know the uh, places like uh, Central America and South America. So I'm really uh, you know, it, it continues and and as you said, despite the headwinds. So we look at those key markets: South Korea, Japan, China, Hong Kong, but also as you mentioned, uh, uh, Central America, South America. That that shows how widespread this demand is. And I mentioned the headwinds. I mean, the challenges we've talked about in getting product to these uh, to these countries. That's a big part of it. Hopefully, that doesn't eat into this uh, record demand because we uh, we strive to be a reliable supplier. Is that being threatened by the supply chain issues? Well, yeah, it's definitely a threat. Um, we've been talking about this now for, for several months, and, and we've seen evidence of it really back to the January of, of uh, this year. Um, so, yeah, the ability to uh, – we have a reputation as one of the most reliable suppliers in the world, but but definitely if this goes on much longer, uh, that's at risk. Uh, that being said, this supply chain situation is a global issue. It's not only the U.S., but uh, – now, the, the good news is there's been a little bit of, uh, there's been some development since we last talked. Uh, you know, the, uh, the House of Representatives uh, approved a Ocean Shipping Reform Act earlier this week, which uh, 
really puts uh, maybe some more teeth in some of the uh, enforceability of some of these uh, uh, shipping contracts with the exporters, which is is long overdue. Um, so really kudos to the House and hopefully the Senate soon that will pass this and, and the work of the industry to get this done. This is, this is significant movement in the right direction to try to uh, – ensure that a lot of these bookings get out on time from these, uh, not only the West Coast ports, but but all the ports in the U.S. All right. So again, uh, just uh, kind of going over the highlights here, beef exports reached 115,709 metric tons in October. That's up seven and a half percent from a year ago. Export value climbed 48 percent to $956.9 million, the second highest total on record so that's on the beef side what's happening on the pork side well pork uh, pork had another big month it was down slightly at 226,000 metric tons uh the main the main country there that's down which is the same trends we've seen the last several months is china and we're down uh, uh we're down about 24 percent year to date which was totally expected as they start to uh make an effort to rebuild their herds uh, from the African swine fever issue. Um, but that being said, uh, we're on track to export for the year to China about 750,000 tons, which which is down 24 or 5%, but still will be the second largest year ever. Still, still the China market's been a big, uh, very good customer for U.S. pork as well. But similar to the beef side, the, the broad-based growth, um, you know, the, the the deltas being made up with China by all these other countries, uh, Mexico, Japan, Korea, Central and South America. So this theme is, is consistent on the pork side as well, that demand globally, uh, as a general rule, not only is it good, but in, in many cases, it's record-breaking. We don't talk a lot about lamb, but uh, some good numbers there, too. Yeah, lamb... Um, I think lamb, we saw big numbers, increases in Mexico and the Caribbean. I think that's a testament to the, uh, the rebound of food service. Um, you, know, the, uh, the, um, you know, it is an international travel so much that's coming into uh, Mexico and the Caribbean, but definitely North American travel is coming in. And uh, so there's every sign that food service is, uh, is starting to come back with a vengeance and uh, uh, that with some of the other regular distributed business that Lamb has, it's looking pretty good for them as we finish up the, the year as well. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, Dan, uh, these are numbers from October. We're assuming that the, the numbers are going to look good for the rest of 2021. What are your thoughts? What's your outlook for 2022? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think uh, I think this momentum uh, continues, albeit maybe at a, a little bit slower pace. Um, on the beef side, as I said earlier, will we'll by far be a record for 2021. Um, our estimate is uh, right now 4% growth additional off that record for 2022. Uh, it might be a bit of a conservative estimate, but, but nevertheless, uh, uh, we do see continued growth. And on the pork side, the real key there, as you know, is, is China. What will China do? Uh, that's always the question. But uh, our guess at this point, or our forecast, I should say, is that uh, 2022 will look a lot like 2021. Call it steady to maybe just some slight growth, uh, which basically means that uh, we continue to see demand for pork uh, outside of China continuing to grow. Does price threaten to slow down that demand? Well, you know, that's, that's a, like, that's a really good question. Uh, everyone's asking that same question. Uh, I guess the way I can answer it is so far, no. Um, will it or could it? It, it definitely could. Uh, but I'd tell you what, this demand is so resilient uh, on a lot of different fronts that um, I would have to think that uh, if it does slow it down, it, it won't be dramatic, but uh, it's anybody's guess. But uh, I can't overstate the, the strength of this demand globally. And, it's, and like I said, it's not just one market, it's several. So I think that's a really good thing for, in, for our industry going forward. Looking at your market development work, when you have demand that strong, that, that's a 
big part of it right there. That So that makes it somewhat easier. But what are your other challenges? Obviously, supply chain. But when you're trying to develop these markets, and what are your challenges right now in developing even stronger markets? Well, you have to look at market development, especially in these emerging regions uh, like, like South America, you know, like, like a little bit like a Central America as well, or even Africa, or Indonesia, some of these places. It's a long-term venture because, uh, you know, in any given year, you could have you have a lot of risk with these emerging reasons. You have you have currency risk, and the fact that we have global inflation returning, uh, that's more of a risk for an emerging region than it is for an established one. So. You know, these are some of the things that keep you up at night, but, but I try to look at the broad-based focus, and the broad-based focus is global growth of population, emerging economies, especially in these uh, developing regions, uh, more spending power of the middle class. Uh, I think over time, uh, that will outweigh some of these other, other concerns. Is there a market out there that maybe is not – real big right now, but you think it really expand in, in 2022? Well, there's probably several of them. On the uh, on the beef side, I'm looking at a market like Colombia that on, on pork has just seen huge growth in the last 10 years. And, and I think beef is positioned to maybe see some of that uh, incremental growth as well. Uh, on the pork side, uh, there's probably, uh, you know, Philippines, Vietnam, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, countries uh, show a lot of promise going forward. So, uh, and then of course, you know, the whole continent of Africa is a is an opportunity that's probably a, a few years off, but uh, it'll be here before you know it. I think. What well, amazing amount of work goes on behind the scenes in, in market development work, and uh, I know it's uh, it's tremendously rewarding to see the, those efforts pay off the way they have uh, this year with these strong numbers and uh, hopefully we'll continue into 2022. Dan, congratulations to you and your staff at U.S. Meat Export Federation on the great job you're doing uh, and always appreciate your time coming on and being with us each month to go over the numbers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. It's our pleasure. Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Up next, some uh, outlook and updates on the dairy industry. A number of issues at play here. Some program reminders we want to pass along for dairy producers. Joining us next will be Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. See program details at SprayEarlyGuarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Yesterday's USDA reports were not huge market movers. The USDA increased U.S. wheat ending stocks by 15 million bushels, but made no changes to their U.S. corn and bean supply tables. They also left their South American production estimates unchanged. Traders now return their focus to dry weather worries in Brazil and Argentina, as well as inflation input costs for 2022. Weekly U.S. ethanol production was the highest in five weeks, and producer margins 
remain large. Mexico also made a record corn purchase this week. Demand is keeping corn basis values very strong. On the Board of Trade, March corn trading a half a cent lower at 5.91 and a fraction. The May contract down a fraction at 5.93. For soybeans, the January contract trading eight cents higher at 12.72 and a fraction. The March contract up seven and a fraction at 12.79 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March up eight at 7.84 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March up five and three quarters at 8.02 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat March up two and three quarters at 10.25. The May contract up a penny and three quarters at 10.11 and a fraction of a cent. In cash cattle country, it's quiet this morning following yesterday's light to moderate business. While it looks like the bulk of trade is essentially done for the week, a little cleanup is expected today. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $142 plus in the south and $222 plus in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be mixed with light to moderate box movement. On the Board of Trade, December live cattle trading 12 cents higher at 136.85 February, up 32 at 138.12. Feeder cattle January up 37 at 164.45, March up 40 at 165.47. For lean hogs, the February contract $1.25 higher at 79.07, April up $1.27 at 84.32. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. As 2021 draws to a close, I want to kind of get an overview of the uh, the dairy industry. Joining us now is the president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, Jim Mulhern. Jim, always good to talk with you. Uh, your thoughts on where the industry is uh, right now at the end of this year? Uh, certainly your industry, like about everything else, impacted by supply chain challenges. Well, it certainly has been, Mike. And uh, first of all, let me uh, say thanks for having me on the program today. Great to be with you. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, I would like to offer a a few words of congratulations to you on a uh, a stellar career. Um, I know you're retired at the end of the year, and uh, it's just been so good uh, for me to have the chance to work with you, to talk with you over the years. I'm um, really, really um, pleased to, to salute the service that you provided to U.S. agriculture for, for many, many years. So I want to say that publicly, if, if this is my last chance to do so, and uh, congratulate you and wish you all the best as you uh, move on to Act 3 of your, uh, of your uh, uh, great life. So, well, Jim, um, let, me say, let me say thank please. you because uh, I, I valued our friendship. And for many years, I, I emceed your annual meeting, and I really got to know you and your staff and many producers around the country and got to hear from them firsthand about their issues and challenges and then talking with your staff and how you as an organization are dealing with those. I've always been very impressed with how the industry uh, works on these things and uh, uh, the how active you are in so many different areas. And, and I just want to say how much I appreciate uh, all that you have done and helped me along the way, really educating me on dairy issues. And uh, I've enjoyed working with you so much. Thank you. It's been a great opportunity. Um, so talking about where we're at this year and, and looking at next year, um, you know, it has been a, it's been a challenging 18 months really for uh, the dairy industry and, and all of agriculture. 
uh, on our ride. We had challenges last year. This year has been a little bit more stable. Uh, the assistance we got from the federal government last year was critically important and helpful. Uh, we're still trying to smooth out some of those, you know, bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, but we do go into, you know, looking at next year, uh, feeling optimistic. Um, world demand has been strong. Uh, we're looking at a, a year of record dairy exports for the U.S. dairy industry, uh, and and supply has tightened up not only here uh, but around the world in the major exporting markets or the major exporters, the European Union and New Zealand, U.S. all you know, in, in pretty good balance at this point. So we're looking to uh, next year to be um, a, even a better year than this year, um, and that's going to be helpful because feed prices are higher, and that's, gonna, that's having an impact, obviously, on, uh, on farmers who are who many dairy farmers buying their feed. So we're going to have to have better prices to deal with that situation. All in all, we, we're going into next year um, with some optimism. The House has passed the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, uh, tell us why that is significant and what about that legislation moving on to the Senate? What are your thoughts there? Well, this legislation is critically important, Mike. Um, it is as good as this year has been from an export standpoint that I talked about. It could have been and should have been even better. Um, from the, the challenges we've had at U.S. ports trying to move our dairy products into overseas markets, uh, the negative impact this year has been uh, our estimation to the tune of well over a billion dollars of lost sales uh, and, and price impact because we weren't able to move additional products um, into world markets. Challenges with moving product to port, storage of product at port, but critically important has been the challenge of getting, getting product on ships going back, uh, going back to Asia. One of the challenges this year is there's been you know, so much um, product coming in from Asia into U.S. ports and a desire to have those ships turn around quickly, they're going back with empty containers rather than carrying U.S. goods back over to Asia. Um, and when they are carrying our goods, it's at a much higher price. The, the d detention and demerge fees that uh, dairy exporters and, and all exporters are facing have risen dramatically, and it has been a very challenging situation. The bill that passed by the House yesterday will help address many of those challenges. It is not a panacea, but it sends a very clear signal that the supply chain problems that we're facing at our ports are unacceptable, have to be addressed, and we need the cooperation of ocean carriers to, to fix those problems. Happy to see a bipartisan, strong bipartisan vote in the House yesterday. We go to the Senate, and we've got to get the legislation moving there. I'm hopeful that early next year we'll have final legislation passed that will help to begin to address uh, some of the, the supply chain problems we're facing at the ports. Jim, uh, enrollment is about to open for the dairy margin coverage program. Uh, I know you're encouraging uh, dairy farmers to take a close look at this. Well, we are, um, and the dairy margin coverage program has been one of those factors this year that's been very helpful for small and medium-sized producers who signed up for the program, and, and luckily, sign up this year was better than it was last year. You know, we went into 2020. At this time in 2019, the forecast for prices in, in dairy were improvements over the 2019 prices, so a lot of producers did not sign up for the, mar for the dairy margin coverage program. And then the, the pandemic hit, and we all know what happened then. You, you, can't, you, can't, um, um, you can't assume the market forecasts are going to hold. You can't game that system. Uh, this is a very important safety net risk management program for small and medium-sized producers. It has been uh, tremendously helpful this year. It's going to pay out, it has already paid out over a billion dollars, $1 billion to dairy farmers across the country who signed up. Uh, that 950 coverage level, uh, which is this, the top level you can purchase, um, has been very, very helpful improvement. We got that done in the 2018 Farm Bill. It's provided really important support to a lot of small and medium-sized farmers. It also provides catastrophic protection to larger farmers. But I, I would say in addition to the dairy margin coverage program, like the changes that we've made in the, in the LGM dairy program, the livestock gross margin program for dairy, as well as the dairy revenue protection program, 
have all been important safety net or rather risk management features that dairy farmers need to be taking a look at and, and engage in to do better risk management on their operations. We're talking with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I know a huge issue continues to be labor. Not only labor on the farm, of course, uh, that dairy producers need, but also we've seen the, the impact of labor, uh, how it's impacting the supply chain issue. And uh, that has caused a lot of problems. So labor continues to be a challenge. Uh, are you optimistic we can find a, a, a path through to get get done what needs to be done to address this issue? Well, Mike, you're absolutely right. Labor continues to be a huge problem in, in dairy and, and really for all of agriculture. I will say in dairy, it is, it is holding us back. Um, for a number of years, we've been trying to get um, agricultural um, uh, labor legislation, immigration reform legislation that would provide, uh, you know, protect the legal status of our existing workforce and as important and perhaps even more important, provide a pathway for future workers because we've been struggling with this issue for, for many, many years. Uh, even our current workforce, many of them are starting to age out. So we need access to new workers. Unfortunately, this has been a very, very challenging issue in the Congress and in American politics. Um, I, today, I uh, um, would like to say I'm optimistic that, um, that the outlook is positive. Um, it's, it's really a mixed bag. We were able to get a bill passed by the House last year. The last two Congresses, the House has passed legislation that would provide um, relief in this area. We're trying to work in the Senate right now to pull, um, pull forces together to get support for a, a kind of a compromise bill in the, in the Senate. We'd like to make some improvements in that House bill, uh, but right now um, it has been stuck in neutral. And the, that's a challenge we're going to keep working on into the new year. Uh, but we're going to have to have, um, I think, a changed mindset. And I'm, I'm hoping that the labor challenges that uh, we're talking about here, I'm hoping that message gets through to lawmakers to realize this is a serious issue, not just for agriculture, but for the entire U.S. economy. We've got to fill these, these jobs. And um, a key part of that is immigration reform that will address the legal status of many people we know who are here uh, without, without legal status currently. Real quick, uh, can you give us an update? Where do we stand with our dairy issues with Canada? Are, are they getting resolved at all? Or are we still at, at you know, the same point of uh, difference of opinion here on getting this done? Well, the, the Canada issues, you know, there are two of them uh, which you're referencing. One, both that were addressed in the, the, uh, the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada right. Free Trade Agreements, update from NAFTA. Um, one issue is the, the, the tariff access, um, the market access, increased market access for U.S. dairy into Canada. Um, the other is that Class 7 policy that um, enabled Canada to dump um, its uh, milk ingredient products onto the world market and undercut um, world market prices and therefore had a negative impact on the U.S. because we're the largest exporter of uh, dairy ingredients, skin milk powder, nonfat dry milk into uh, world markets. On the, on the tariff side, the way Canada chose to implement that new access that the U.S. was given um, they implement, they proposed implementing it in a way that would minimize actual access use granted to industrial um, uh, processors who frankly don't have a need uh, to bring in the, the products that we were granted. So hey, Jim, Jim, we're almost, I got, I'm up against a break. Can you stay with us and we'll come back and finish this? Can you stay on? I'm happy to, happy to stay with you. Stay, we'll come back and update that, get the latest on the situation with Canada. Stay with us. This is AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. We've been discussing the uh, dairy industry, and one of the key issues, of course, is uh, the trade issues with Canada that's been ongoing for some time. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, still with us. Uh, Jim, go ahead and finish where we're at, where you were explaining that there are two big issues with Canada. Where are we with those? Well, the key one that's in, in uh, process right now is the way Canada uh, chose to implement the uh, the new quota access the U.S. was granted under under USMCA. And they implemented it in a way that's designed to minimize the actual likelihood of that access being fulfilled. Um, we were, uh, we, we, that is in our view, a violation of both the spirit and the letter of the USMCA agreement. We asked the US government to uh, push Canada on the way they chose to administer the new quota access. And we've been pleased that the US government, uh, US Trade Representative's office um, did uh, uh, both the previous administration and the current administration have pushed this issue with, with Canada. Uh, this administration, the current administration, has requested a dispute settlement panel under the USMCA agreement. And so dairy is the very first um, dispute settlement panel, which was provided for under the, the trade agreement. Uh, that, uh, that panel has met, has heard um, uh, testimony from both the U.S. government and from Canada, um, the the, pro, the uh, panel is in process right now. They've not rendered a uh, any decision on it yet, but we are um, hopeful and optimistic that the panel ruling um, will um, provide the uh, the access that the U.S. was granted under USMCA, and it will be a- actually able to move dairy products um, into Canada. The other issue that I spoke of was the um, the Class Seven policy, which was a, a, a very real problem as we saw Canada uh, that has one of the highest milk prices in the world uh, somehow being able to um, export product onto the world market um, at a, a much lower price and they were doing that through the the class 7 policy they put in place um, the agreement USMC agreement was designed to address um, that elimination of class 6 and 7 there were two classes that were set up um, that seems to be going um, going to form at this point. So we're continuing to monitor uh, Canada's um, uh, uh, elimination of Class 7 and uh, in putting in place the new policy. It appears at this point that uh, they are doing, they are following the, the, the letter of the agreement at this point. So a real focus right now is on this, this TRQ issue, the tariff, mm-hmm. tariff rate quotas and how Canada's administered them. Important issues, real tests for the new USMCA. We'll be watching closely. Jim, again, thank you. Pleasure to work with you and wish you and uh, all the folks there at uh, National Milk Producers uh, the best in 2022 and keep up the good work for the dairy industry. Well, again, thank you very much, Mike. It's been great work with you. I wish you all the best and uh, Godspeed, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. All right. Also joining us now, busy program today. We're happy to have with us Tanner Beamer, Director of Government Affairs and Market Regulatory Policy for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Tanner, good to talk with you. And I know you want to talk about a couple pieces of legislation uh, that have passed the House, very important to the beef industry. Tell us about them. You bet, Mike, and thanks for having me. So the first one was brought by House Agriculture Committee Chairman David Scott, and it was widely supported by the House Agriculture Committee. In fact, it got marked up unanimously on a voice vote when they uh, had that business meeting a couple weeks ago. But this would extend authority for livestock mandatory reporting through September 30th of 2022. Now, LMR is currently um, temporarily extended through February 18th as part of the continuing resolution, which is currently funding the government. However, if it was adopted on the Senate side, Chairman Scott's bill would give us some additional uh, certainty about that program, which really is the most essential market transparency tool that cattle producers currently have at their disposal. So we were very pleased to see that pass the House on a very, very wide bipartisan basis uh, and receive just such a, a, an outpouring of support from members of Congress. The second uh, component of that and the second bill that we saw get passed out of the House of Representatives on Tuesday is brought by 
Congressman Dusty Johnson, who's a Republican from South Dakota, and Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas. And that bill would require USDA to establish and maintain a cattle contract library. This is something that NCBA adopted policy in support of a couple years ago, and we've been advocating for ever since. Um, the contract library concept is very similar to the existing library at USDA for swine contracts in that it would be kind of a database for, generally speaking, the types of contracts that are offered by packers to cattle producers for the procurement of fed cattle. And what that would do is it would allow producers, be they cattle feeders or cow-calf producers or stockers and backgrounders, to take a look at what qualities are being incentivized by packers uh, in terms of uh, financial premiums so that they can maybe make some adjustments on their programs to capture additional value for those cattle uh, when they sell them to the next person down the supply chain. So two great market transparency uh, bills making it um, out of the House of Representatives. And now we're taking a look at the Senate to see uh, what happens there. Yeah, how much support have you got in the Senate? You know, right now there's there's quite a bit of support. Uh, there's There's not been a companion bill that has been introduced yet on contract library, um, although we do expect that to happen at some point in the future. Um, and I think a lot of that just is the, the, the timing of the legislative year. You know, uh, lawmakers are kind of focused on the holiday season right now. They're about to leave Washington, D.C. for an extended break for Christmas. Um, and I think we'll see kind of a renewed focus on some of these initiatives once they return in January. Uh, but uh, we don't uh, anticipate there to be much opposition. You know, there's there's wide support for uh, LMR and has been since the program was established in 2001. And then the Cattle Contract Library enjoys broad support from a host of industry groups that don't necessarily see eye to eye all the time. So uh, we're hoping that the Senate takes uh, takes note of the support that that concept has and, and runs with it in the same way that the House has. All right. So we'll watch that. Uh, it looks like it'll be in 2022. Tanner, thank you very much. Appreciate the update. You bet. Thank you. Tanner Beamer with NCBA. Wow, that wraps up a very busy program and wraps up another week. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays. Have a great weekend. And hope you can join us again on Monday right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.